Welcome to Marvels, the podcast where we examine Marvel's pop culture paragons from the MCU and beyond through a queer feminist lens. I'm Lisa, and the nocturne to my hominess is Dana. Hello, my seductive sapphic bloodsuckers. <laughs> there is no denying that superheroes influence and inspire people from all communities. So we want to explore what re- representation is available, if any, to viewers from outside a straight male lens. Who better to explore this than your favorite discourse darks? That's us. Um, I just want to preface by saying that my microphone is playing up a little bit. So if there's like distortion or whatever, like that's entirely my fault. So I'll try and fix it for the next one, but we're just going to go through with it for this one. Okay. So what are we watching now? Today we have um, Blade. Yeah. 1998 Blade, the first mcu movie the first movie done by marvel yeah. studios Shit, um that's... yeah started it off really the director yeah the director is stephen norrington and the writer is david s goya it's um start is starring wesley snipes stephen dorff and nabouche wright the content warnings for this episode are racism sexual assault and rape and aids <sighs> this is gonna be an episode this is gonna be a heavy <laughs> episode it's what is a vampire story without a sometimes heavy-handed, poorly written allegory to AIDS? <laughs> if we're being honest. Well, all vampires are bisexual. So. <laughs> yes. All right. We're going to talk about that, too, and how that's a bit interesting in this film. Yeah. So I just wanted to say before we start that um, when we're talking about race, we don't know everything. Since we're white, we don't have the lived experiences that people of color have. Um, Everything that I know, I've learned from talking to and listening to people of color and reading what people of color have written. At the same time, we can call out racism when we see it, but we do defer to any people of color listening to our podcast and any people who do know more than us. You obviously don't have to educate us, but we will continue to learn and get better at talking about race. And to anyone who is learning along with us, please continue looking to Black and First Nations and other people of color. Cannot stress that enough. Deferring to the wisdom of those who live these experiences is important and recognizing their perspectives. Absolutely. So the comics were created by Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan, who are both white, and mm-hmm. both Stephen Norrington and David S. Goya are white. So Correct. So that presents a bit of a problem, which we'll talk about. Um, the storyline and backstory in the film are completely different to the comics. The only things that stay the same are that Blade's mother dies after being bitten by Frost and that he becomes a vampire hunter after living on the streets. In the comics, he's saved by vampire hunter Jamal Afari, but in the film, he's saved by his friend Abraham Wessler. Yeah. Um, I do want to mention as well quickly on the note of um, the team behind the camera, uh, Wesley Snipes did have a heavy hand in producing this film. He has the production, the production company that makes it, uh, Amin Ra Films, is his own passion project, Mm. which is good. It'd be nice if director and writer as well. Um, but there is a good point there that Wesley Snipes was very heavily involved in making sure this was a story that he wanted told. And that's what we need. We need more people of colour producing it so they actually have a say in what mm-hmm. is getting shown on screen. Precisely. Um, so Blade actually made around $200 million worldwide. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. And uh, like the next movie that came out wasn't Marvel Studios, but it was X-Men. And they kind yes. of like brought these two movies out to see, like, kind of test the waters, see what how people would respond to superhero films. 
uh, X-Men made a lot more money than Blade did, but um, Blade yes. was a, a really good step in the right direction for, um, for Marvel Studios. So uh, this was the first movie with a uh, black male lead in the MCU, but it was also the first movie in the MCU. Um, Blade yes. 2 came later in 2002 and then Blade Trinity in 2004. But the next black film, sorry, the next film with a, a black lead came in 2018 with Black Panther. Black Panther. That was 14 years later. And the first in like the Marvel Studios MCU like timeline phases run as well. But there was also Luke Cage, which came in, I think, um, was it 2015? Yes, but disconnected from the... By that point, they divorced themselves from the next flick shows as being canon to the film's counterparts. <sighs> yeah, which is annoying. <laughs> Ridiculous. I know. <laughs> uh, we'll be getting another Blade soonish with Mahershala Ali playing Blade. So that's... I did not know that. That is some... Very cool news. Yeah, I know that's what? awesome. I'm really, I'm really pleased about that. I love the Hashirali. Yeah, that's fantastic. Oh, oh my god, I've got something to go and look up after this podcast episode is after over. There's not much really talked about yet because they're still in like I don't even think they've started filming. Like, it where yet. are they putting it in the timeline? Like, yeah. yeah, but it is a title. It is. It has got probably people working on it. Hopefully, mm. that is that's exciting and. Imagine Blade today with better graphics and <laughs> hopefully better writing. <laughs> and and Marshall O'Reilly actually opening his eyes at the end. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Fantastic. Um, also, one thing, um, the way I've talked about the directors of Marvel, of the Marvel Extended Universe, I've forgotten that Ang Lee directed Hulk and that Ang Lee oh, is yeah. an Asian man, but he did such a bad job with Hulk that I forget Hulk even exists. Yeah, that's a mess of a movie, and I'm glad. Can we put it to? Can we put it to rest now? Can we put a stake in it? And just it's well and truly gone. We won't talk about it anymore. <laughs> it's in bad CGI dust. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you want to do the plot summary? Ah, uh, I can try. Okay. Um, what I did this week, listeners, as you know, I'm very quiet and my memory is a sieve, and so I actually tried to make some decent notes this time, and I probably about halfway through got distracted about things I wanted to talk about in the podcast. Um, Blade starts with uh, his mother dying. Um, She's been bitten and she's rushed to hospital and she passes away as they, I assumedly, um, cut Blade out of her. Um, There's a montage of sleazy New York streets covered in rubbish and that's how we know it's New York. Um, We cut to... um, there's a vampire girl luring, or we don't know she's a vampire at this point. We, there's a girl luring a sleazy dude to a vampire nightclub. Um, it's just very, very like quintessential 2000s or early 2000s, late 1990s goth vibes at the whole rave. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, the place is called Bloodbath. Um, she, like, runs off through the crowd and like loses the guy and then like he's noticing around him that things aren't right and there are creatures of the night at work here all like hissing at him and he's like oh no and then blood starts pouring out of the ceiling (laughs) that's such a waste it's such a waste of food Uh, i really like that like i always loved that image it was i thought it was really cool it's very effective but i'm just sitting there like don't you drink that it's like dropping a bagel on the floor. You're not going to eat the bagel after. <laughs> like... God. 
But I guess they just love being drenched in blood. Yeah, I know. <laughs> There's something very interesting about it. Um, there's uh, Blade appears right when the dude is screaming, realizing it's blood and that he's surrounded by vampires. Blade drops in and like absolutely wrecks shop and um, is cleaning up essentially. Uh, I, I, I think I've got a note here, which is I really enjoy the fight choreography, but the CGI is really bad. <laughs> mm. I was looking at this whole thing thinking these are really good stunts. Like this is some like good stunt work it's like mm. not cutting away or doing the shaky cam thing that happens in mm. later action movies it's very very good choreography for the time and yeah it's like the matrix came out a year after it so i wonder if like we just instantly forgot how good the choreography was in blade because the next year it became irrelevant um everyone forgets about blade i don't know like no one talks about it no and like that's the thing i i enjoyed some of the action and the themes and what we have to pick apart were very interesting but um for an action film and a vampire like romp adventure it's okay like Mm. there are lots of worse shot ones and worse acted ones out there (laughs) i think we all know what you're talking about (laughs) yeah okay um after this i believe we cut to um karen in the the lab um we see her full name from a badge she's a woman in stem um She's got some colleague there who's her ex playing a cruel, like, joke on her, or she assumes he's playing a joke when um, he brings in this body that's been mm. um, blade charred to a crisp at the nightclub. Like, the, the vampire wakes up and yes. uh, attacks Karen and attacks the her uh, work colleague, and yes. then um, Blade turns up there and she's been bitten, so he tries to, like... Um, I don't think he actually kills that that charred vampire, does he? No, he cuts he off comes his back. arm. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, he comes back. Yeah. Um, and so Blade then rescues Karen and takes her back to his oh my god, um, his like lair thing, which is just some like warehouse in the middle of the city. I have to say, while while she while he's like rescuing her and getting rid of her, he like runs to the hospital corridors, and there's some cops there who like shoot at him. Not, I get it, he's got like a sword out, whatever, but not at the charred horrific um, monster thing, like right behind him. And I'm like, and I love it because he just turns around and he goes, Are you the fuck out of your mind? And I'm like, That's such a valid reaction. Um, he, he just throws her out of the window and um, she dislocates her shoulder and pops her back in, and it's all very like he's explaining to her the whole way, like this concept of there's a, a dark New York under New York. Um, he doesn't cure her. He gives her a stabilizing injection, I believe. So that she doesn't quite turn. Or... Turn? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's like, it's very interesting here, the whole idea of a preventative, but not a cure. Mm. There is an evil boardroom with an old vampire council, and they hate this young up-and-comer Frost, because he's flagrantly showboating and having rave parties known as blood blast and <laughs> I guess wasting the food supply and letting everyone know that vampires are alive and real when they've all been very hush-hush about it. Mm. They constantly talk about his blood status and that he'll never be a pure blood like them. Because he was this... bitten, wasn't he? He wasn't born. He was, yes. Bitten, not born. And I still don't know how that works. I still don't know how you can be born a vampire, but... Well, Blade... I don't understand how Blade is born a vampire, but he's, like, a date walker, but he's not, like... Because he's half... Half? I, yeah, I don't understand how that works. Like, I watched this entire movie not knowing. Yeah, because his mum was still technically human. Okay. I don't know. 
Um, she didn't, yeah, spoilers, she didn't turn till after he was born. Um, spoilers. Spoilers in our spoiler cast where we talk about it. Uh, let's see. Uh, flashes back after this ballroom drama. Um, Karen waking up and, like, begins snooping around trying to figure out where she is, who Blade is, etc. And she decides that she's going to, like, help to cure or help to work on a cure because not only mm-hmm. does she need it, like, but also it can help and, I guess, pay Blade for saving her life, etc. Um, and they're not getting very far. All the cures on Blade are reducing in effectiveness or he needs more of his serum stuff to not go absolutely like ham um let's see there's a lot of exposition dump i've just written i've just <laughs> written exposition dump exposition dump yeah it's like, about um wesler talks about um uh how uh blade like he rescued blade off the streets and mm. and that kind of thing and like what blade is and what the other vampires are and that kind of thing so yeah it's all very uninteresting um, they give her vampire mace and then just drop her back home <laughs> with all this information. Like she's going to be okay. <laughs> and then when she does go back home, she's attacked. Yes, by a police officer who is a familiar. And we get exposition there while Blade's beating the crap out of him that he's a familiar and he is like doing the dirty work of the vampires. And most of the police force are familiars because they want the process, the, the promise one day of becoming full fledged vampires. Yeah. Um, there's just lots of lots of arguing between Blade and Karen as they're running around the streets of New York trying to track this familiar. Oh, they also they also beat the shit out of the cop in broad daylight. Yes, they beat the crap out of him in broad daylight because Blade's trying to get information about Frost, who he is a familiar to, and um, yeah, so he can't kill him, but he wants to like scare him and intimidate him, and he runs away. And he's got blood in the back of his car that he's clearly delivering to, like, mm. a vampire den. Mm-hmm. So Blade waits it out until he comes back and follows him to this club. <laughs> uh, oh, God. This was just <laughs> awful. <laughs> there was, I think it was the, the like, the the um, Japanese anime schoolgirl outfit metal band that I was like, what the fuck is happening? Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that made me look up, and I'm like, oh no, here we go. <laughs> uh, um, it's a it's a vampire club, I guess, or it's like a front. There's this club out the front, and then there's a fridge that they walk through the back. And um, God, I just lost it. Then I think <laughs> because I just start talking about the things that I'm getting distracted about. We um, flash back they, to the bad guys. Don't they talk to Frost? Not f- oh yeah through a computer, that's right. And they find out some exposition that he's translating ancient glyphs, um, and needs the blood of a daywalker, and all of this stuff. To I think he's trying to make himself pure blood is the whole thing. When it flashes back to the bad guys, we see that he's trying to like um, get himself a position on that pure blood vampire council and needs Blade's blood to do it. He finishes translating everything. Um, let's see. Oh, okay, now I understand. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It takes you explaining it to me for me to actually get what the hell is going on. Yeah, so in this prophecy translated thing, it's like they need the blood of a daywalker to do this intricate ritual. Um, they... Ah, they get the message from Frost because they've gone into the back room and they've found a really rotund vampire 
called Pearl, who's just like hooked up to a bunch of computers and is like tortured with a UV light. Um, Which is just absolutely horrific. That whole it's a lot. Was just horrific. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And that's who the blood delivery was for. So they get their information. Um, let's see, they head back. Oh, as they're leaving, I believe they get um, accosted. The bad guys are finding them as they're trying to like get back to the base. And there's the, tr- the scene in the train, near the train, where they're fighting. And, um, oh no, they go to the museum. That's what they do, because they're trying to stop, I think trying to get in the way of the trans oh, it's just a jumbled mess it's just so confusing yeah there's there's like a lot of things happening and and not much structure yeah it's just like one thing after another kind of thing they're trying to hit so many beats and don't think about how those beats flow together or are distinctive from each other it's not like your typical three-act structure it's just like here is a thing that we wanted to happen then here's a thing then here's a thing then here's a thing um after the museum they're running away there's a train scene and um, there's a fight Blade does some cool sword stuff and um, Karen gets to stab someone as well even though she's in a lot of danger in the scene they get away Blade's dislocated his shoulder she pops it back in and it's meant to be like a mirror of when he popped hers back in we go back to the base and the old guy is talking about how his wife and his daughter were fridged um, for his pain so that's why he became a vampire hunter <laughs> um, typical I know, right? I was like, yes, cool. That one's that box has been ticked. <laughs> um, and yeah, that that the we flash back to the evil guys. They have vampire sunscreen now. They go and like oh, kill okay. the old council guy yeah. at the at at like the the, the daybreak on the, the ocean. Um, I'm like, you have sunscreen. Why do you need to be of your blood? Just walk around in sunscreen. <laughs> Okay, uh, we see Karen doing a lot of science, trying to figure out a cure. Uh, Frost ends up meeting Blade in the daylight. Um, he threatens a really small kid in the middle of, like, Chinatown. And my note here, my distracted little note was, how come his eyes aren't burning? You can't put sunscreen on your eyes. <laughs> Maybe the eyes don't burn and, like, the rest of the body would just burn to a crisp and then the eyeballs would be left over. <laughs> But then why do their whole bodies burn? Like, otherwise you just have a bunch of vampire eyeballs everywhere. Which <laughs> would be hilarious. This is my brain watching this. I'm like, what's going on? Um, let's see. While Blade's dealing with that, uh, the base is ambushed. Um, Wessler is brutally beaten to near death and Blade can walk in and like have a couple final words to find out where he is. Karen's been kidnapped. Um, they find out Blade's blood is the key. Um, and this is, uh, I think Blade, uh, is a mercy killing. He does a mercy killing here to stop him from feeling pain. And I wonder if this is the first life the Blade has taken not in vengeance. Mm. <laughs> uh, back with our bad guys, Karen is psychoanalyzing Frost. Um, she gets under his skin. Um, but Blade then comes in armed to the teeth. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I knew you'd enjoy my pun. You just couldn't help it. No, I couldn't. <laughs> um, Blade meets his mother, who is still alive. And I have no idea why she's playing for the villain team. There's some comment, like, that she's lost her humanity. Or, like, she's one of them now. And I'm like, but what? 
it it's just really strange. doesn't do a very good job of explaining anything in this like motivations like why no. anything matters to the characters and yeah i'm just like okay i guess like it was it was okay plot twist but there's no heart behind it um there's a lot of um pure bond mono oh sorry pure blood monologuing like that blade's human side makes him weak etc karen gets thrown into a pit and she runs into her ex who is the co-worker and like he's been vampified and she ends up like kicking his butt and crawling her own way out with a bone um let's see blades like strapped into a machine and like bled to try and get his blood which was just awful oh yeah it was a lot to watch it was a lot um the main council of vampires is like lined up around the outside and they get like wrecked they're like i guess their souls if it's what they was meant to be flutter out of them like weird bats and then go into frost and he powers up to his final form um <laughs> and karen gets blade out and he drinks from her to get his strength back and his blood back um and then yeah he kicks frost's butt which yeah. is, yeah. And I think he she... kills him by injecting him with his stabilizing cure. Yeah, with like five of them or something. And that's pretty much the end. Oh, and the end of the movie is that Blade is still a vampire hunter and he's traveling the streets and I think he's in Paris or something and then he comes across a woman being harassed no, by a vampire. Um, Russia. Russia. And, he's um, in Russia. Yeah, and then so he, the implication is that he kills the vampire and saves the woman. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it's a lot. How did I do on my recap? Yeah, that was really good. That was good. Oh, man. Oh, that was difficult. We've got a bit of a gap between our watching and recording this time. Mm. Some... Yeah, we haven't recorded for a while. No, it's just life has been happening. <laughs> All right. Where are we going when we talk about this one today, Lisa? I have uh, Blade's mother, Vanessa, to start with. Oh, yes, that's her name. Yes, her name is Vanessa. <laughs> Okay, so uh, my notes. She dies in the first two minutes of the film. Mm -hmm. Um, Her license gets shown, but I couldn't see what her name is, and I looked it up. And then it turns out she's alive, and she comes back. Uh, But she works for Frost, and she's under some sort of spell, because... Is she under a spell? I don't know. It just seemed like that. Like, she just... The way she was acting, maybe it's not necessarily a spell, like, in the witchy sense, but I just, just, like... like, vampire cultism? Yeah. And, like, this, probably the idea of, like, when vampires are together and they all nest together and they drink from the same sources. Like coven, and, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like they, they just get indoctrinated into... Yeah, it is very cult-like. <laughs> yeah, into their cult. So it turns yeah. out Frost bit her, and now she's yes. a bad guy. And yes. she... There's some big, like, incest vibes with her oh, yeah. and Blade, which were very uncomfortable. In their reunion, I'm like, can we not do this? It felt very much like a big, like, Oedipus complex thing. There's this really weird energy. And, like, you know, Blade having to, like, kill her. Like, one minute she's like, your mother died long ago, and she's nearly kissing him. But the next she's like, please, I'm your mother, when Blade's about to kill her. Yeah. And I'm like... <laughs> this is gross. It's really like uncomfortable. Like I was very uncomfortable watching this. It's oh, like same. the implication is that she is like sexually attracted to him or like that she it's just 
uh, you know, like Dana said, she's almost kissing him, and it's like she like touches his lips, and it's just like, don't, don't do it. Whole scene is charged with the wrong kind of energy. Is there a point? Like, I think they just like, put is it, in it trying there. to play with his emotions in a really weird way? Just like spin the wheel of how to interact with your son. <laughs> is it just to show that she's like completely off the rails? Yeah, that like. The villainousness. Um, And I think we can unpack that a little bit more when we talk about queer portrayals as well in this film about vampires and how their sexualities are depicted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, in in other vampire media, like, it kind of... Like, I'm thinking about True Blood, how it kind of stresses the, like, incestuous nature of, like of um being like biting other other people to make them vampires and Mm. and like living in nests and 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 that kind of thing and i don't think this movie is like uh, i don't think this movie is smart enough to make that make that commentary yeah exactly but i think it just kind of like is throwing things at the wall to see what'll stick yeah precisely so um blade does kill her because she is like we were saying indoctrinated into frost's uh, cult <laughs> you have this sorry <laughs> i have this little knit note here because i was watching it and i put it in my notes i'm like in the bad cgi disintegrating effect her hair is the last thing that disintegrates and I'm, I'm like yes so you know she's a lady vampire <laughs> she dies <laughs> no Aww. it's just bad special effects but i just couldn't help but notice it. it was like three seconds behind the rest of her and i'm like why is this wig staying in shot <laughs> i don't want this <laughs> um i don't know if there were like i don't know if it was just specifically this movie that had bad graphics or if like all graphics were bad in the 90s in the late 90s i think they all were to give them credit like the Matrix coming out a week, like, sorry, yeah. a year after, did revolutionize it again. Yeah. But, like, yeah. Just, yeah, it's bad. Mm. <laughs> and the budget, and, like, they probably thought that was fantastic for what they had their budget for. Like, mm. it's trying to do a lot in this movie, to be fair. It's not, it's generous with those bad CG vampire kills. It's not like we have one that we spent all of our budget on. They're like, no, he's killing people left, right, and center. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. No idea. Okay, so do you want to talk about Karen now? Oh, Karen. Okay, yes. Um, she's another woman in STEM. Yes. Marvel really likes those. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Women um, in STEM and, and people in the military. <laughs> yeah, um, we get a full name immediately from her badge, so, like, it's nice. Uh, it's really great seeing her do a shit ton of science in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, when she was talking about the blood work stuff, apparently that does it for me i'm like oh no she's so attractive and she's like she's talking so about smart. confidently confidently talking about how to reverse engineer this like this um virus that vampirism is and how to like and how blood works and binds to like yeah the blood cells together i'm just like oh my god she's really this is doing it for me <laughs> my note was you better say that in our recording i'm i'm I commit whatever I write in these notes, I say, and regret immediately. <laughs> no, it's fine. We all have our things. So she's, like, damseled immediately. Like, she is, yes. she is damseled, I think I wrote it down as, like, four or five times. Um, so she's damseled immediately, and then she's saved by Blade, but she's also bitten. Mm. 
Um, and she just kind of like gets knocked out and she wakes up in a strange apartment um, with these two guys who start telling her about vampires and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, what, does she have time to take a breath? <laughs> like, That's true. I, I, I think we came away very different. Like she's damseled a lot. Mm. That's for sure. But I'd argue no more so than, like, let's say something we're going to talk about in the future spins the real Thor the Dark World. Mm. Like, Jane in that movie just exists to be damsel. Like, um, no more than Pepper in Iron Man 3. Mm. Like, <laughs> I'd say for a 1998 movie, at least a couple of the times she's damseled, she, she gets herself yeah, out of it. She does. Or, like, she contributes to the getting out of it. Like, when she's got the sword in the subway scene. Yes, it's Blade who, like, gets them out of there by grabbing the train. But he, she pops his shoulder back in and she's using the sword when she's got it. And, like, for a human, she's kicking a lot of ass in this movie. Mm. Yeah, she does her best. Like, there is a scene where she and Blade are rocking up to the, I think it's a Japanese club. And yeah. um, and he's like hands her a handgun and is like, do you know how to use one of these? And she's like, no, but I learned quick. And I thought that was cool. That's like a yeah. boss line, except for the fact that I would not feel safe around someone who does not know how to use a handgun. And I gave them a handgun. Like, <laughs> look, I'm sure that's the last of Blade's concerns. <laughs> he's like, she knows not to point it at me. <laughs> like, cool. <laughs> Um, but does she have trigger discipline? Like, does she know how to load a clip? Like, what is going on? Uh, no, who knows? Um, <laughs> I guess as well, like, if you roll a high enough intimidation check, you can just stand there and, like, look menacing with the gun. <laughs> you don't ever have to fire it if you know how to use it properly. <laughs> I would be scared of, of Karen because she's boss. She's awesome. Just, yeah, turning it into, like, a handheld weapon where you just, like, pistol whip instead. <laughs> If you're not confident in shooting it. Or throw the gun. My favorite trope ever. (laughs) When it's out of ammo, people throwing the gun. (laughs) Get creative. Learn to do improv with your weapons. Just start picking up bullets and just tossing them at people. No, I think she's actually... And she gets a lot of screen time. Yeah, she does. I was really pleasantly surprised that it seemed like an equal divide. And there's no kiss at the end. There's no big dramatic... There's the there's yeah. the bite, which is clearly meant to stand in for it, and yeah. is clearly meant to be erotically charged. But there's no big kiss. There's no, like, I really found that refreshing. Mm. Because it's not a story about romance. It's not. No, they don't, yeah, they don't really position them as romantic interests, which can, mm. can be problematic in that, like, yes. of... In that um, there is a lot of discourse about how um, people of people color. of color aren't positioned yeah. to have love interests in the same way that white people are, and that's true. That's that can be problematic. But I think they did a good job in this movie of like like Diana was saying, there is a sexual element to the when Blade bites her, but yeah. yeah, they don't position them necessarily as love interests, even though like I mean it's a bit weird because in some ways they. Do, but in other ways there aren't those like lingering looks or like no. be carefuls or you know yeah there's like they have a lot of chemistry yeah they do they just do like it's very interesting and yeah I, I think 
She's, I think, used a lot of the plot to humanize Blade, ironically, to play to that whole idea that he is half human. Mm. And he's not this untouchable, like, vampire like the rest of them at the moment. Like, But that's also yeah. problematic to me because, like, women don't exist to make men better. <laughs> that's true. They don't. They don't. So this movie is very, like, it could go either way. And sometimes yeah. it's going one way and sometimes it's going the other way. Maybe I'm giving it too much credit just from the fact that I'm blown away. This is 1998. Yeah. Like, and then not much has changed. Yeah. <laughs> and it's actually doing better than some more modern movies. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, I just like that. Yeah. I don't know. She does like the mirroring of her resetting blade shoulder that I've mentioned before, yeah. like the same way he resets hers. It's the moment they're called it sort of elevated more as equals, yeah. even though she does lack the half vampire powers. She's got, the knowledge and the cure at her fingertips. Um, Blade isn't ready to accept this, like, but like I think she's very useful and integral to the plot in a way a lot of female characters aren't. She is damseled, but she does have a lot of agency, and her plot isn't just to be damseled. It's actually around finding a cure for herself, not just for Blade, because that stakes set up from the first scene is that or second scene she gets bit, and like that's a very personal stake in the plot. <laughs> you know what I just realized. Well, I did this with Hulk, and I know we said we weren't going to talk about Hulk, but I did this with Hulk. That's okay. That we recorded Hulk third because, mm-hmm. despite the fact that I said it's not a Marvel movie and we are going to record Marvel movies yep. first, and it's Blade true, is yeah. a Marvel movie, and I mm-hmm. put it in the second half of the season. <laughs> <laughs> it's not MCU, to be fair. Okay, it's not MCU. It's Marvel yeah. Studios, but it's not MCU. Yes, and it's a very good movie, and like, well. <laughs> It's very good for being a starting point and having very interesting things we can discuss yes. about it. And there are, and uh, like, definitely um, Karen has, features. like, a lot more agency and a lot more to do than some of the other female characters in later films. Yeah. Um, what else do we think is pretty cool about her? Um, or problematic. Well, arguably. she uses her STEM knowledge to find a way to kill more vampires, like... Yeah, that's what we were saying. Is that um, she looks for a cure, and she's like actually using her knowledge that she's accumulated from like years of working and years of studying and, and that kind of thing, to um, yeah. to find a way how to take uh, to find a way to take care of vampires. And she finds a cure, and she cures herself. Like she's she's like using agency. She's going out of her way to do these things. No, and like accidentally weaponizing a cure hell yeah yeah that was cool (laughs) and like blade uses that cure to kill frost so she's like directly implicated in the like directly involved i should say in the in the last in killing frost who is the bad guy the main villain i I think as well um i was thinking about when she's with frost one-on-one after she gets abducted that final time and how she just she had such big dick energy as she's like they're psychoanalyzing this vampire coven leader she's just there like doesn't even bats an eye as she's like reading him for filth about his whole deal and that he's just got these issues about not being (laughs) a pure blood and like (laughs) she's just needling him and i'm like you're a legend (laughs) i don't remember that part no she does she sits there and she's like goading him essentially oh when they capture think, her yeah yeah you think this is gonna change anything you think they'll ever view you as more even with your fancy ritual like yeah yeah legend 
absolute legend. Humans and supernatural things who, like, just completely throw their weight around, I adore. That's awesome. <laughs> like, they're not afraid of anything. Mm. <laughs> I found the, um, the biting scene where Blade bites Karen just, uh, I don't know. I don't know how I, I don't think I enjoyed it, but I don't really know why. Yeah, I don't know how I feel either. It was very charged, is the right word? Mm. And it's... Yeah. Like, it's it's very violent, and it's mm. it's meant to stand... Like Dana says, it's meant to stand in for, like, the big kiss. It's meant to stand in for them having sex. Or the sex. night before. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's a very violent act to, like, for a vampire to bite a human and drink their blood. Like, so mm. it's a bit, like... I don't know. I don't really know. And I've got I've got a little more to say on this when we get to the topic of queerness in the film mm. and vampirism and what it stands for morally in the eyes of like what it always has stood for. But like it's very much like a whole like Blade's been abstaining his whole life, so now that he's not, like just let a rip. Like mm. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's stands in for that big kiss. I more admire the fact that after she's just been drained like a Capri Sun, she just stands up and keeps fighting. <laughs> she's just still going, even though she's, she's stumbling a around. Yeah, what? A, like, absolutely amazing. Because in a in a, a conventional film, that would have been it. She would have like been knocked out. Yeah, and, like not been active or up at all in the final fight. Mm. So I'm like, hell yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. Okay, um, there were a couple bad guys, um, mm-hmm. bad women, I should say. Um, yes. Raquel and Mercury, like, I don't know what it was, I just literally forgot to pay attention to them the entire movie, oh. and it wasn't until, like, I was looking, like, I was reading through the plot and stuff, and I was just like, yeah, I did not even, like, register them. Look, Mercury was only in it at the start, yep. like, leading the guy to Bloodbath. Okay. Raquel is in it a bit more, but, like, they don't actually do anything with her um doesn't um, karen kill her yes karen does kill her with the vampire mace from the start oh, bringing it back <laughs> yeah um yeah raquel's about to bite her and karen just like whips out the vampire mace and sprays it down her throat mm. <laughs> and her head blows up nice because unlike all the other vampires who turn like completely into dust i guess that's when they're being staked there's a lot of heads blowing up in this film mm. <laughs> um yeah, her only thing, I guess, was to shatter Frost. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, she's not really the either. big bad, but she is at least a bad guy. Yeah, yeah. That's it, really. Okay. Like, um, I think it falls into that, that category of, like, if we have a female hero, we need to have a female villain for her to fight. Yeah, I know. And I think that's the thing, um... What was it? Because, yeah, the the two ladies square off at the end. And, like, I guess the only exception there being Blade's mother. Like, she doesn't fight another woman. She just fights Blade. Mm. But, yeah, that's its own interesting charged energy like we discussed. But does she actually fight Blade or does he just kind of kill her? Like, is there a fight scene between them? She doesn't have a fight scene. She attempts to go at him. Mm. And I think he gets her pretty immediately like there's a couple of kicks in there but it's quick yeah 
Mm. Okay, well, that was pretty much all I had for the women of the film. Yeah, um, what do we think? Um, Did you have anything on the general points yes. about feminism? Yes, so yeah. um, I, I pointed out that um, even the really sidelined male characters get like mannerisms and personalities, even if they don't get names. But the female characters have no personalities and are constantly called like bitches. Yes, I did notice this, and I was like, I don't think this movie is clever enough to do it, but I think the only characters who call women bitches are the vampire, like the bad vampires, mm. like the ones who are the bad guys. Um, I don't think the movie's being clever enough to say it's a villainous thing to do this. It's no. just an excuse to call a woman a bitch. <laughs> yeah, but at least Blade doesn't call anyone a bitch. Yeah, Blade doesn't, and... Um, Wesker, the old guy, doesn't as well. Is his name Whistler or Wesker? I don't know. Wesker? I just remember thinking he was... I remember thinking he was just... He was cool. <laughs> oh, he's like disabled representation as well. He is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I, I added a little bit of notes about that. Which yeah, cool. we can talk about that. Um, yeah. So, Whist Whistler? Wesler? I don't know. His wife and daughters are killed for his man pain, as, as Dana pointed out. And, yeah, and mentioned as a exposition dump. Hmm. And Frost kidnaps an Asian girl, and after their depiction of Asians in the club is like, buddy, buddy, <laughs> buddy, <laughs> don't do it. Um, and then he disparages a group of Asian people. Like it's the way, like he talks about. I think he's talking about humans in general, but the shot is of like a group of Asian people, and it's it's like, what are you? I don't even know what they're trying to do. Like, are they no. purposefully being? like racist against asian people or like like are they just it's really interesting because i'm so torn because what i noticed about this movie it was so refreshing that just so many background characters walking around the street or going about their life weren't white people mm. like it was so refreshing seeing so many different people on screen even like background groupie vampires or like like walking around new york streets like as blades in the daylight beating a police officer in the middle of the street yeah like <clears throat> but it's just so unfortunate that the disparaging and gritty and like the themes of this movie like it was just seeing people of color get beat on all the time <laughs> by these like very aryan looking yeah like, like who are obsessed with blood purity and yeah yeah exactly and um and I, I think as well, like, it's very clearly positioning us, like, all the, the bad guys are wearing white, mm. actually. They're all, like, you know, um, even though we didn't see much about her, every scene every scene that Raquel is in, she is head-to-toe in white, like, mm. um, and has, like, the bleachest blonde hair ever. Frost is often wearing, like, a white business shirt, like, and framed in, like, his blue eyes are very much a center focus, like... Um, and then meanwhile, you, you, your good guys are in black. I think that they were doing yeah. the Aryan thing on purpose. So, like, this movie is yes. smart enough to do that. Like, David Escoya, like, wrote that in specifically. So I think that was yeah. an interesting point. But, like, there are a lot of things in there, like we were just saying, that just aren't done well and they mm -hmm. aren't done intentionally. And it's – or if they are done intentionally, it's just fucking racist or discriminatory yeah. or, you know, misogynist. It's a shame we can't – it, like we need something that hits like the notes for like every form of representation mm. like yeah mm. is it so much to ask <laughs> um 
<sighs> Let's see. What do we think? Um, I have a lot to say about queerness. I like a lot. Let's talk about I have queerness. a lot to say. Let's go. Yeah, I think I've got some good points in here too for this one. Okay, so um, I think that's something that we haven't really touched on. Uh, about the women as the film of the films we've been watching uh, being queer and I think that for me I think that I don't project onto female characters the way I do onto male characters and that's probably Mm. because I have spent the last 10 years in fandom and writing fic specifically about queer men and rarely about queer women oh that's a good point Mm. Um, I think as well I'm reluctant until there are more women like it's hard to see the heterosexual love interest which is what most of the one women in these films are it's hard to see any aspects of them that mm. reflect queer experience or queer identity mm-hmm. and they're so limited in their character and who they are there's not enough written about them or enough content that i ever want to project or yeah. want to engage with it which is sad <laughs> most of their personality becomes being the love interest of the hero absolutely (laughs) and even when there are two women in the same movie or like let you know let alone in the same scene like rarely do they actually get to interact with each other like we've seen Mm, in um in thor we have like darcy and jane interacting in meaningful ways but um like like um dana was talking about how you know if they interact do we learn anything about them and we do learn things about yeah. jane and darcy in the way that they interact together and it's and with jane and darcy as well i wouldn't feel comfortable shipping them because it's like this professor and student dynamic yes. like darcy's there on an extracurricular yes. like credit and it's a superior like it's just a lot of things mm. <laughs> we never see enough women in in media who and their connections to each other not being built on literal family connections or like someone in a superior role connection when there are two women in the same movie they're usually familial like we see nebula and gamora and like we don't ship that because they're sisters like even if they're not blood sisters they are they they refer to themselves as sisters and you know and that's the same with like loki and thor we don't ship that either Mm -mm. big no there um (laughs) So you can, like, extrapolate, like, the barest hints of anything from Natasha and Pepper's interactions. They have, like, a couple interactions throughout Iron Man 2. And I'm pretty sure they're, like, there definitely was fic written about their relationship. But (laughs) since we don't have, like, two scenes together where they talk to each other, or they only have, like, two scenes, I don't know, it's just a bit sad. Yeah, it really is. Um, And I can see, like, here as well, like, it's no point seeing whether these films pass the Bechdel test Mm. because we we have our own debates about what that is anyway but it is actually for analysing queer female relationships, the fact that there are so few female characters that even talk to each other about anything let alone something that's not a man Yeah, um, that it's impossible to project and see sapphic relationships represented in media Absolutely. how can you even begin to hope that there's someone who represents you when they're not there, they don't have a name and they're not talking about anything except for the main guy on screen. Well, they're even not even talking to each other. Like, they could be in the same yeah. scene and they don't even interact. Like Exactly. Yeah. And, um, it's, yeah. And, it's like, shame. it's not really until we have, like, like, really, it's not until we have, like, maybe Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but I haven't seen that one with, um... Nah. No. Um, no, not really. And Black Panther <laughs> and Captain Marvel that we really see women interacting in, in meaningful ways and yeah. in ways that we can extrapolate queer aspects of their identities from them. Precisely, yeah. 
Um, like in oh. Daredevil, we were talking about how Foggy could have hit on a man at the ball, but we didn't talk about how Matt's assistant Karen could have been a lesbian and not interested in Matt. Yeah. Like, it's framed that she is interested in Matt. Like, they could have been... I think there, I think there as well, like... Personally, I go into a lot of media with the comic book knowledge in mind. Mm. I know Karen Page exists in a comic to date Matt and then die tragically. <laughs> like, so I don't even want to think about her as a sapphic figure because I know what her history in the comics is probably mm. leading up to. So if they even did anything with her character, I'm not invested because I know it's probable eventual endpoint. Yeah. So why would I want to imagine her as a sapphic woman when I know she's going to die for man pain? Exactly. <laughs> and, like, even Natasha, we could... Like, there's been lots of fic written about Natasha being queer. And, like, but she doesn't have any relationships with other women. Like, even in Civil War with Wanda, they talk over the... Like, I, I haven't seen that movie in a while, but I can think of only one instance where they actually talk to each other and that's over like the walkie-talkie ear con things. And like Darcy and Jane, it seems more like a mentor-mentee relationship. It seems like Natasha is teaching Wanda how to be like a budding superhero and go covert and undercover. And like, again, it doesn't leave room outside of work for these women to bond. But I don't even think it's a relationship. Like, I don't think there is no. anything there. Like, I no. think I when they're talking, I don't even think they're talking to each other. I think they're just saying things to, like, in general, to people in general, which includes Sam exactly. and Steve and... Is that it? I don't know. Um, yeah. I, Natasha makes some sort of goading comment about Wanda, like, how to go undercover. Yeah. It's not even goading. It's just, like, a, a, a there, there, little one. Like, you'll get it. Yeah. Read the room. Yeah. So, you know, we can talk about Black Panther because, like, when we're talking about Blade and we're talking about, like, black-led movies, like, Black Panther does so well. Like, it does so well on, like, representation. It does so well on female Mm. relationships. Like, it it does so well in so many aspects. And, um, yeah, and we'll talk about that in our Black Panther episode, so I'm really excited about that, actually. I know. I think the further we progress, the more there's going to be to talk about and we can even tap into our own experiences of being like queer women. Mm. <laughs> like, finally, <laughs> I would love to stop talking about dudes for five minutes on our podcast about feminism and queerness. <laughs> but we we do what we can, and men for the the majority of superhero history have been written as the more in depth characters. Mm. So of course we're going to talk about the relationships that mm. could be queer between these complex men. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Like in in Blade, we do see um, uh, Karen interact with uh, with Mercury, um, mm. Raquel, sorry, um, yes. and but she only interacts with her in an antagonistic way when she's literally yep. fighting and killing her. So, yes. like, if a woman kills another woman, does that pass the Bechdel test? <laughs> no, because they don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> Was she exhibiting girl power as she killed another woman? <laughs> She's a total girl boss. Oh, no. Okay. Um, let's keep going. Okay. Let's break it down to Blade and what we saw, which yep. was very, very interesting. So, like, werewolves or vampires are bisexual. <laughs> so all supernatural creatures are queer allegories. Yes. <laughs> Especially cryptids. They're like the nightlife. They're rejected by society. Um, they are most awake at 4am in the morning in the club. <laughs> And, or howling at the moon. Yeah, and vampires <laughs> by nature are campy. 
Oh, they're so... Their fashion sense, their style. Oh, my God, the drama. For us, just so dramatic. <laughs> just, they're all queer goths. <laughs> and like we said in our Daredevil episode, and like I, I said Blade literally runs around in a leather jacket, and we all know that leather, leather is for homos. Yeah, I know, not to quote you on the Daredevil app, but Leather Day. And I actually quoted you on our Avengers episode with Fury. Oh, because Fury! Oh no, it's a cycle, a gift that keeps on giving. Just like, full of Leather Daddies. There's only one store that can cater to this! And I like in every fight scene, like he starts in his full fucking, um, his full, like, leather cape get up. Yeah. And then he like... It shows up to his next fight scene in a t-shirt and like a leather vest, and then he shows up in the final fight in just a leather vest. I'm like, he's losing more and more clothing. What is happening? Yeah. I'm so confused. <laughs> Blade has style, okay? He knows what he's about. And vampires are a very good tool to explore, like, that whole self-hatred thing mm. going on. Yeah. Um, being born a certain way, not being able to change who you are. Like we talked about conversion therapy, I think in our, uh, uh, Daredevil episode. Um, yes. Yes. And religious, being religious and queer growing up, constantly apologizing for your sins that you've been born with, mm. like atoning, etc. Mm. Um, <laughs> and like there, it's a lot. there is a lot of religious imagery in this film with like frost trying to read the tomes and like try like trying to become a god and that kind of thing like so Mm. yeah i mean like it's not like for him specifically hating himself because he seems to love who uh maybe because he's he wants to be pure blood doesn't he so yeah Yeah. and then there's a lot of like self-hatred with blade and are we going to talk about the AIDS metaphor? Oh, yes. And uh, vampirism is always an AIDS metaphor. Always. Because mm, it like... always, in vampire plots, there's always someone who wants to be cured. Mm-hmm. Um, it's passed, in this film particularly, from mother to son. As we mm-hmm. know, it can be transmitted. It kills the mother. The son mm-hmm. is abstaining in a mix of shame, guilt, and wanting to protect others. There's preventatives, but not cures. It's definitely an AIDS metaphor. Yeah, and this... The more I watch this, the more I'm like, oh, God, they were not hammering home, like, yeah. And this is, like, a decade after the AIDS virus was, like, very prominent in society. Like, obviously, yes. it was. it's still an issue even today, but um, it was very prominent throughout the 80s and the early 90s, and, um, and this was in... This movie was in uh, 98, so... I don't know if, like, the writer is queer, so I don't know mm. if that's where he kind of gets this metaphor from, but yeah. it could have just been so saturated in society that, or, like, even just saturated in vampire law, like, yeah. even before AIDS was a thing, because... Other blood-borne yeah. STDs and things Yeah, like absolutely. And, yeah. Like, in True Blood, I keep talking about True Blood, but, like, one of the... <laughs> you know. Oh, I love that show. It's one of my favourites. Um, yeah, there's a... Like, vampires can get um, affected by hepatitis D, and it just kind of, like, mm. makes them weak for a couple of days. And, um, and like, there's a kind of a plot point about hepatitis D in one of the episodes, uh, one of the really early episodes... But, like, then later on there is call, this virus called Hepatitis V, which affects mm. vampires and kills them. Um, and oh. so it's a huge plot point in one of the later seasons. The idea of, like, bloodborne viruses is definitely one that connects to vampires really well. 
Yeah, and I think it's also that inherent societal view that only the decrepit or the unclean or the unsavory carry these things, mm. which is not true, which is awful and has led to the complete, um, I guess, poor treatment of those in society who are carrying with them the virus. And it's just, it makes you think quite a lot, the ethical and moral questions and is it okay to keep using these allegories? Yeah. That, yeah. Express this is in this way is such a curse. And I thought particularly in this case, I don't know about queer um, writers behind the team, but probably someone on that team might've known like, or known someone who you know, had the f- family case where HIV passed from mother to son. Like, yeah, because we forget it isn't just, Yeah. It's predominantly affected the queer community, which is important. We need to talk about it. Mm. But it's continuing to affect people all over the world because they don't have access to education and protection. And people think it's just a dirty gay disease. Like, Mm. (laughs) don't actually provide the resources to help protect people because, honestly, it was used to try and wipe most of the community out. Absolutely. It really was. Yes. Mm. Um... On that cheerful note. Oh, I have some um, other things to talk about. So um, instead of doing the Bechdel test, there's something else we can do, which is called the DuVernay test. Um, So we can look at, we can do that when we're looking at uh, movies with characters of color. So the DuVernay test has uh, the one that I'm looking at right now. Um, There, I think Mm -hmm. there might be a couple, but um, this is the one that I have copied into our notes. Um, Has five different uh, five different questions. So the first one: Are there any characters? Are any characters of color whitewashed or played by actors of a different ethnicity? The second, not, that I'm, not that I'm aware of. The second one, do the characters of color pursue their own goals separate from the white characters? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Finding a cure. Um, taking out. Um, taking out for vengeance. Yeah. It's more Blade's motivator is he wants to find who killed his mother. Yes. It's not. It's regardless of who they, I guess. Yeah. Are. Yeah. Do the characters of colour primarily talk about race? Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> Not explicitly. No. Like, there's a lot of allegories for vampirism as a, as its own separate race, yeah. but that doesn't count. No. <laughs> um, no. Do the characters of colour fulfil harmful, simplistic, or downright racist stereotypes? Uh, the Japanese club. Yes. Yes. Um, um, is the director... I did like... Sorry. I did like the commentary, though, about, like, especially with the police and Blade... And, like, where he's like, are you kidding me? Like, are you out of your mind? Um, yeah. That's, yeah. Again, that's interesting, but poorly handled mm. all round. No explicit commentary. Yeah. And the fifth question, is the director, writer, and or creator represent of the story, representative of the story's culture? No. <laughs> not all, no, not None all of them. them. Um, producer. Yes, producer, yes. Who is but the not, lead actor. Yeah. And... Yes, producer, lead actor, and um, distributing company, mm-hmm. but that's not enough. Mm. And it, but I get the feeling that without Wesley Snipes' input on this, this film would have been a lowest. So it's great that Wesley Snipes was involved in it. Um, hopefully, yeah. they'll do better with the new Blade that's coming out. I don't know if it's a TV series or if it's a movie. We'll, we'll see. see. 
Um, back on really quickly, I did want to mention when we were talking about like vampires and their portrayal, and we've talked about them as a reflection of like the AIDS metaphor, etc. But um, I also want to talk about in this film, like in under queerness and everything, vampires are the only ones who are portrayed as queer. So like we know that there are like lady vampires kissing in the club, mm. or also in non-monogamous relationships, like Frost is definitely with Raquel, who and he's also with Blade's mother, mm. and like. Um, your hero, meanwhile, Blade, is portrayed as abstaining or monogamous, and when he finally drinks from Karen, which we've already discussed as super sexualized, this makes queerness and polyamorous framed as evil and bad because we only see bad guys doing it. I hate that. Big sign. <laughs> it's my least favorite thing. Every time I watch a piece of film, I can't help but watch now is how is queerness framed mm. and who is doing it. What, from like, this <laughs> podcast or like just before that? Like, you, this podcast is making me do it more, but, like, it's just ruined my life. You know how, like, when you go to film lectures in uni and they say, you're going to, like, break down every film mm. structurally from now on. I'm like, no, I break it down thematically from now yeah. on. <laughs> but um, is there anything else we wanted to say? Um, Is this a movie we would recommend? If we were going to remake it today, what would we do to improve it? Um, better queer representation. Like like Dana was saying, um, yeah. like you were saying, there was uh, some queer representation with the female, with the women in the club kissing, and, like, there are allegories to queerness. But um, those allegories don't really do anything if Mm-mm. there's nothing to back it up in, like, concrete, like, representation. They're kind of just used to paint the insidiousness of the vampire under dark of New York. Mm. Like, and that's not good. Mm. <laughs> that's not okay. Especially when they're like, directly using an AIDS metaphor. Yeah, exactly. And being more explicit about that, being more, like, even if it can't happen on the screen or in the movie, like, people in, like, the directing chair and, like, in interviews talking about where the vampire films and narratives draw their inspirations from. Mm. That would be... Please. <laughs> mm. Please. But we've had so yeah. much, like, AIDS metaphors and, like, queer metaphors and that kind of thing. Like, I know. Like, um, like werewolves are definitely another one. And I was just thinking yes. of something else, but now I can't remember it. Something else in, in popular culture that happened recently. But, um, like, without actually having any queer representation. Like, we have these queer themes without yes. an actual queer representation. And it's kind of like, if you're going to do the queer themes have a queer character that embodies those themes Mm -hmm. precisely stop just profiting off Mm. of the stories and the narratives of the queer community Mm. so fan studies network Mm. north america has some amazing resources and theory on race in fandom and also um this person stitcher mansory on twitter posts a lot about anti-blackness in fandom right now k-pop fandoms and star wars so you should check them out and yeah i know Um, as someone in the star wars fandom it's it's a nightmare (laughs) so you should check stitcher mansory out and um also subscribe to their patreon they do important work in fandom and they constantly get hate for it so show them some love Yeah. yeah So we're actually recording these episodes way before we're going to post them. So once you're hearing this, we will have recorded every episode of season one and maybe some of season two. Hell yeah. So yeah, if you have any feedback for us on how we can do better and what we should talk about, um, please direct that to our email, marvelspodcast at gmail.com. Please send us something. I'd love to respond. I love correspondence. I cannot stress that enough. 
<laughs> yes, Dana loves it, and I will side eye it because I don't like people talking. <laughs> we to say me. this every week, and it's so good. Just poke me if you read an email accidentally first and it doesn't pop up. But yeah, I'd love to. Pen pals are my thing, be them digital or handwritten. So it's still let's start digital and see where we go from there. We could um <laughs> we could direct them to my parcel locker if we want handwritten. <laughs> a postbox. Yes. Um, if anyone wants to send me Marvel stickers, I'm not gonna complain. <laughs> <laughs> well I have some for you. I have some for you. Oh no! Oh buddy, this pandemic has been whack. I miss you. <laughs> I miss you too. Okay. It's nice yeah, once it's, a week. It's great catching up. So you can find us yeah. at Marvel's Pod on Twitter and Tumblr. So yes, I run yes. the Twitter page and Dana runs the Tumblr and page. And I run the Tumblr yep. page. Uh, thanks for tuning in. What are we watching next week? Uh, next week we'll be watching the, um, dare I say, beloved of many, but not of <laughs> I, um, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. <laughs> His faces are going to be a journey. It's going to be my face watching things. <laughs> Oh, yeah. that's great. Okay, well, thank you all for tuning in. Yeah, and until next time, stay marvelous. <laughs> <laughs>